Hey, well, good morning. Hey, good to be with all of you. Uh, my name is Brent Hall. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Edinburgh, and it's always just good being with my church family and worshiping and hearing the word of God together. And those of you online, I want to just continue to encourage you to consider, if you haven't yet, consider being uh, here physically in person. Um, it, there's just something powerful, powerful, powerful that happens when uh, God's people gather and, and worship uh, him and, 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 and are together doing that. Uh, so many people tell me it's just, it's just completely different than sitting in your living room when, when we're here. And so if you haven't been back yet, I want to encourage you to consider doing that. Um, but again, just great to be here with you this morning. We're going to continue on in our series, uh, Jesus Culture. And the heart of this series is we want to we be more like Christ. We've said we want to be that, that, that sweet fragrance of Jesus more and more to each other, to our community, to the world. We want to smell more like Jesus. And I don't think there's anything that helps us do that better than this sermon that Jesus gave, the best sermon that's ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about teaching us how to do that, how to be more like Christ and live out the kingdom ethic here on earth that reflects the heart of God. And this morning, we're going to be dealing with a very relevant issue. We're going to be dealing with the topic of lust. Lust. Uh, in the 1970s, a product came out um, that promised through its marketing campaign, its commercials, that if you bought this product, you would have so much fun. The marketing of this product said it would bring excitement to your life. And if you would just buy this product, you would have fun, and you would have excitement. Your life would be fulfilled. This product ended up selling uh, uh, over a million uh, instantly, uh, making the uh, <laughs> sort of the inventor of this thing over $4 million almost overnight, but it was short-lived. This product I'm talking about, of course, is known as the Pet Rock. Now, the Pet Rock promised fun. It promised excitement. But it was short-lived. Because people came home and realized just a rock. But there are pets everywhere. And then buyers got what we call buyer's remorse, where you feel regret for the purchase you've made. And by the way, if you bought or were an owner of a pet rock, I just want you to know God still loves you. He still has a really good plan for your life. I believe that. But buyer's remorse. When we're promised something, it sounds fun, it sounds exciting, but it leaves us with regret. And I bring that up because this morning we're going to be talking about lust, and lust is like that. It promises us fun, it promises us excitement, but often it leaves us with buyer's remorse. 
with, with regret. So we're going to pick it up in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus brings this up. But before I jump in, I, I, I do want to just say as we deal with this topic of lust today, let's be a church that removes the shame from this topic Unfortunately, the church has attached so much shame to people who struggle with lust and sex and pornography and masturbation. You know, the world talks about it, but nobody in the church can talk about it because we've attached shame to it. we got to lift that, Edinburgh, because otherwise we'll never talk about it. And parents, i got news for you. If you make this a shameful thing, your kids will never come to you. And I want my kids coming to me and having these conversations. I want us to be able to talk about this. So let's do that, Edinburgh. Let's lift the shame and understand that this is something that most of us, if not all of us, will battle. Maybe for our entire lives. That's just a reality. So let's look look at what Jesus has to say this morning. Matthew 5, verse 27. He goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to say... You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. I want to just pause right there. We all know this. We all know that adultery is wrong. It's one of the Ten Commandments, okay? Uh, By the way, adultery here explicitly means having sexual relationship with somebody other than your spouse, okay? That's, That's what Jesus means here. And we all know it's wrong. it's wrong to do that. Um, The Bible teaches us that, uh, you know, the two become, you know, one flesh. And uh, I I often compare um, sex, which is good and it's from God. It's actually a gift. But you could think of it like fire. Compare it to fire because on a stove... Fire is good. It can cook your food for you. But you get it outside of the stove and fire can burn your house down. And sex is like that. It's a gift. It's good. It comes from God. But it has to be in its proper place. The boundaries of marriage. If it's not, it could burn your house down. Proverbs 6.32 says, a man who commits adultery has no sense. This could be men or women, by the way. Whoever does so destroys themselves. It it can burn your life down. Okay. So we all know adultery is wrong. This is, when when you stand at the altar and you say, I do, uh, we don't use this language in modern times, but what, what biblically you are doing is you are making a covenant with that person which is stronger than an agreement. A a covenant is is the strongest agreement you can make. In fact, in Old Testament times, something they would do uh, when they made covenants with each other, no matter what the the deal was that they were making a covenant about, they would take an animal, they would cut it long ways, they would split it in two, lay it on its side, the blood, the guts, the entrails, right, laying out, and then the two parties would walk through to the other side. And what they were saying is if we don't keep our end of the bargain of this covenant, may what happened to this animal 
happen, happen to us. Now, I've done a few weddings. I've officiated a few, and I've asked, would you like to do this? And um, no one has taken me up on that. But I bet if we did, it, it would bring a powerful, powerful reminder of this idea of covenant and the agreement that's being made when people stand at the altar and say, I do. Now, Jesus is going to take it up even another level. Look at what he says next. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. We all know that. But I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his or her heart. Okay? Anyone who looks at someone else other than their spouse, that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about sexual desire. Lust is a broader term, but in this context, Jesus is saying sexual desire for someone other than your spouse. That's how we could define lust. And that could be through fantasy and just using your mind to think on such things. That, that could be looking at pornography, which is sole purpose is to elicit sexual desire. Jesus says if we even lust after someone other than our spouse... It puts us in the same camp, the same boat as the person who has a physical affair. Uh, God created us to be more than just physical creatures, okay? Uh, the world will tell you that we are nothing but physical beings. It believes in something, subscribes to something called naturalistic Darwinism, which just believes there is nothing spiritual. Everything is physical matter. But the Bible teaches us that we are more than that. We are actually spiritual beings. And what Jesus is getting to is we are not just supposed to commit ourselves to our spouse physically. We are supposed to commit ourselves to our spouse spiritually. So heart, mind, body, and soul. Okay, We are supposed to commit ourselves to our spouse holistically. And we say, I do. And this is something that Jesus is, is teaching us here, okay? That we are to be holistically committed. Now, this is where I want to just pause and, and, and remind us there's grace. Amen? <laughs> That's why we love Jesus. Why we champion Jesus? There's grace. I believe everybody deserves a second chance. If as long as we learn from our mistakes, as long as we repent means turn from our mistakes and turn to what God says, I believe we all deserve grace. God will certainly show us grace through Jesus, and I hope our spouse would be willing to show us grace too if we struggle in these areas because we're all going to battle this to some degree or another. And whether it was the physical affair, I would hope for grace for you. And if you struggle with things like pornography or find yourself even coming in this morning maybe addicted to such, such things as pornography, I hope grace for you. There is grace available through Christ, and we need to remember that. But we also need to hear what Jesus is saying. This is a big deal. That we are to be committed to our spouse, not just physically, but spiritually. Heart, mind, yes, body, but also soul as well. That's how God designed marriage. 
Why is this such a big deal? Let me just spend some time this morning giving us a few reasons why lust can be so dangerous. And the first is it hurts your relationship with your spouse. Okay? It, 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 it dishonors your spouse. It, it robs your marriage. And by the way, some of you aren't married yet, but you might be someday. And so you want to keep your heart pure for your future spouse as well. This certainly applies to you too. But lust will hurt and injure the intimacy you will share with your spouse. Um, something I've learned over the years uh, in my own battle with this is uh, happy wife, happy life. Do I get an amen? I mean, it, it also is true, happy husband, but nothing rhymes with husband. So, same thing though, happy life, okay? If you want to have the happiest marriage you can have, you're going to have to watch lust and battle against lust in, in, in your life. Because it does rob us of intimacy. Yeah, the physical part might be there, but the heart, mind, and soul, and that can often be felt in a marriage. That can often be felt when that part's missing and isn't committed in the way God wants it to be. I remember talking with a friend of mine, in his youth, he would get into relationships and, and he would have, uh, it would eventually have sex and he had slept around a lot. By the time he found, well, by the time he became a Christian and repented of those things, but he found a woman he fell in love with and they got married and he, he told me, he said, you know, I, I used to you know, think it was about sleeping around and that physical, trying to scratch that physical itch through sex, uh, but he said it was kind of like the song, The Rolling Stones, right? I can't get no satisfaction. It's a never truly satisfied. It never truly brought the fulfillment I, I thought it would. But he said, then I found this woman that I love and heart, mind, body, and soul coming together. And he was like, now sex is so fulfilling. It's so satisfying because we're committed to each other in that kind of way. Friends, when we make that kind of commitment and avoid lust in our life, it leads to, the, to deep, satisfying intimacy with our spouse. And so the first reason Jesus warns us about lust is because it will hurt our marriage. But there's a second reason. It brings spiritual death. Lust brings spiritual death. So it doesn't just hurt our marriage or our spouse. It, it hurts us. I've been, a, I've, been a, I've been pastoring for 20 years. I've been standing up in front of people almost every week for the last 10 years. I've had enough people in my office. I've had enough conversations. I've had my own battles in my own life, okay, to, to know that when we give in to things like pornography, guys, it, it, even as Christians, it kills us. It kills us. It leads to a kind of spiritual death. Even as a Christian, you can find yourself spiritually dead. What do I mean by that? You know, a, a dead person can't do anything. A dead person just lies there and is, if you touched it, it's, it's numb. 
And I've been doing this pastoring thing for long enough to see that people get dragged to church, but the sermon is boring. They don't understand why we do music and worship God. And it's just like, when is this over? And I'm telling you, it's because we're spiritually dead. We don't feel it. We can't sense God. This is, this is what porn will do to you. It will drive a wedge between, not just intimacy with your spouse, it will drive a wedge in between you and God. And you will lose intimacy, and you won't be able to feel these higher things that I'm talking about. See, you're not just a physical being. You can't buy into that lie. You are a spiritual being that has this supernatural ability when you become a Christian to start connecting with higher things, things that are satisfying, things that will lead to fulfillment, things like joy, not happiness, joy. And I'm telling you, you can't be looking at porn and have joy at the same time. Porn might be, give you a little serotonin rush. You know, it, it might give you a little temporary happiness, but in the end, you get buyer's remorse. It wears off. Life gets hard again, and you find yourself miserable. The joy that Jesus gives us is a joy that in the midst of great trial, walking through fire, you still have a heart that says yes and find yourself satisfied and fulfilled in this Christ because of the hope you have in his name. It's something you cannot have when you are addicted to porn. You are spiritually numb to these things. Peace. You might have some temporary peace. But as soon as life gets hard, you don't have peace. But I'm telling you, when you can connect with these supernatural higher things, the Bible says you can have a peace that surpasses what? All understanding. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense how you, could, you should have peace right now. Because your life's a mess, but you do still have peace because your mind is connected with something higher. And porn will take that from you. And this is how Paul says in Romans 6, he says, Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, and some of us are there today, he says, so now offer yourselves as slave to righteousness, which leads to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Meaning righteousness had no hold on you. You, you. you couldn't live righteously. What benefit did you reap at that time from those things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in kills your joy, kills your love, so that now all you become is a taker. You're never a giver. It kills your peace. You're dead to the higher things. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is what? It's eternal life in church. There's a misnomer in church today that eternal life is just a future thing that happens once you die and you go to heaven. And I'm here to tell you eternal life is not a future thing. Eternal life is something we get to experience right now. It's what Jesus meant by the abundant life. It's the higher things. And so when we're walking in the spirit, 
walking in holiness. We get to experience those higher things. Eternal life now. But he says the wages of sin is death. But kill that. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the second reason he had a guard against pornography and lust is because, guys, it, it doesn't just hurt your marriage. It ultimately, it hurts you and it robs you of the better things in life. The things that make life worth living. I can't imagine trying to live life without being tapped into these things that come from Jesus. But that's what he's warning us against here, okay? So it hurts our relationship with our spouse. It brings spiritual death, but there's a third reason, the last reason I'm going to give this morning. Ultimately, it's rebellion against God, okay? It's rebellion against God. Jesus goes on to say, if your right eye causes you to stumble, again, he's talking about lust here, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Okay? Now, Jesus is using something here called hyperbole. Not talking, not suggesting you literally go and cut off body parts or gouge out eyes. Uh, Don't anyone come back next week looking like a pirate, okay? That's what I'm (laughs) trying to get at. Uh, This this, okay, because you could cut off every body part and still struggle with lust. Because it's, it, it's an issue of the heart. He teaches that elsewhere. He's just using hyperbole here to say how serious we should treat this matter. This is a, this is a serious warning that he's giving us. Now, understand that hell was originally created for the fallen angels. Hell was originally created for Satan and the angels that rebelled against him. The problem is then humanity came along and humanity rebelled against God as well. And so now rebellious humans join those rebellious angels in hell. Unfortunately, we rebel. The shorter Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So in other words, your primary purpose in this world is to live for the glory of God. And what that means, it's to live in such a way that God is seen to be the most valuable thing in your life. That God is seen seen to be the most important thing in your life. That you value him above all other things. That's what it means to glorify God. Some describe it as making God seen. Now you say, I'm in my living room or I'm in my bedroom or I'm hidden somewhere. Nobody's around. But I just want to remind us this morning, there's angels watching. The Bible teaches that we have angels and guardian angels. There's demons Watching. And when we look at porn and we give in to these things, even if nobody else is around, understand that we make angels grieve. 
And we make demons rejoice. But when we start battling against that, when we start pushing back against that, and when we're tempted, we say no. Understand that what you're doing, you make angels rejoice. And you make the demons grieve. Because you're saying something. You're saying, God, you are the most important thing. And I am going to use my sexuality to bring you glory. My sexuality belongs to you. And by the way, when we do make mistakes and we do mess up, repentance also brings great glory to God. When you say, devil, I'm not going down that road anymore. I'm turning from it today. I'm going to start living for you. You make the demons angry. And that's what we want to do, church. We want to live for the glory of God. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, including your sexuality, do it all what? Do it all for the glory of God. So how do we start walking in victory? We want that. I want to live for the glory of God. Anybody else? I want to make demons angry. Anybody else? I want to make angels rejoice. How do we do it? How do we get victory? Because it's such a battle. Everywhere you go, we're bombarded with pornographic images. You can't even go to the mall. The Victoria's Secret banners. And by the way, there's not much of a secret. <laughs> Just everywhere. Those of you who are familiar with John Piper, some of his works like Desiring God, you know that the premise of that book is something he calls Christian hedonism. Christian hedonism. The word hedonism means to pursue pleasure. And oftentimes as Christians, we think of that as a very bad thing, like pursuing pleasure. Well, pursuing worldly pleasure is a bad thing, okay? But Christian hedonism is saying pleasure is something we actually all desperately need, but we pursue this spiritual pleasure that we find in Jesus. And so it's the pursuit of more and more pleasure in our life, this pleasure of these higher things that I'm talking about, joy and peace and beauty and the higher things that leads to more and more pleasure and satisfaction in our soul. And you and I have to pursue these things because, listen, you can't white-knuckle against lust. You can't white-knuckle against pornography. What you have to do is you have to find something that's better you got to find something you desire more. you got to find something you know is greater. Or you'll be trying to white-knuckle it through your entire life. And so what I'm saying is this. It comes down to reminding yourself when you're battling temptation and you're battling these things, you got to remind yourself, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. This lust, this porn, it's going to lead to buyer's remorse in my life. It's going to hurt my marriage. It's going to lead to spiritual death. It's going to rob me of living my life for my highest purpose to bring God glory in this cosmic war we find ourselves in. And so I got to remind myself, though, Jesus is better. He'll give me the best sex ever in my marriage. He'll give me spiritual life and help me to tap into these things where there's more and more delight and joy than I ever thought possible. 
And he'll help me to live for the glory of God and live out this significant purpose God has called me to. And so what do I do? I got to remind myself that Jesus is better. Piper sums it up by saying, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. How much delight do you draw from Jesus today? Are you tapping into these higher things that I'm talking about? Because I'm telling you, there's a treasure there. Some of you don't know. You've never broken through into the metaphysical realm where these treasures exist. So all you know is this world. There are higher treasures and pleasures that some of you can't even imagine. I'm telling you, it's the only way to battle porn. It's the only way you'll ever have victory. When you find something that's greater, that fills your heart with something true, <laughs> that lasts. Porn fails us. Jesus never does. So what do we do? We set our minds on him. We set our minds on the higher things. We set our minds on Christ. What is something even this week you could think on about Jesus? But then there's a second step. You don't just stop there. You got to go, you got to go the second step. The second step is you don't just think on him, then you savor that thought. You got to dwell on it. You got to enjoy it. That's what Danielle always accuses me when we're eating. She says, you just rush through your food. You eat it, so you scarf it down. Meanwhile, she enjoys it and sits there and tastes it, knows what she's eating. We got, as Christians, we got to become like that. We got we to get to where we are good at savoring Christ in our heart. Where we know how to treasure him. So you got to think on him longer than you think you got to think on him. you got to savor him more than you think you got. And when you do that, you're going to start to see yourself tapped in to the vine, and you as the branch are going to start to be filled with life. Anybody want that? It comes by setting our mind on him. And so that's my challenge to us. And my hope for us this morning even as we end with communion and worship, is we're going to have an opportunity to do that, to exercise your heart muscle in this way, church. It takes some intentionality. Learn how to do this. So we're going to practice it right now by taking communion together. If, if, if you uh, didn't get a communion cup on your way, just raise your hand. we got some people in the back uh, who can bring you one of these cups. We're going to start preparing our heart to savor this together. Uh, before we do that, though, as you're grabbing this, I want to just give us a moment of, of silence and just a moment of quiet time. And this is an opportunity for you. If there's anything you need to turn from, this morning. If there's anything you need to confess to God, this is a great time to do that. Uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to wash us and to cleanse us. And I just want to give you a moment. If there's anything that you need to confess to God this morning, use this time to just let God know what you're struggling with or what you have struggled with. Just ask him to cleanse you from that and to help you. We can do this together.
Some of you have been battling this your entire life. Confess that. He doesn't run away from you. That's the good news of God. He's not going to cast any shame on you. He's going to be glorified by you running to him this morning. Run to him. Isaiah 1.18 says, come now, let's settle this. This is the Lord speaking to us. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. We know a thing or two about snow here, don't we? Freshly fallen snow, how pure it can be. Though your sins are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. He will cleanse you. He will wash you. He'll give you a new start. But he doesn't want to just do that. He wants to give you this ability to tap into him, to start experiencing this spiritual life. And that's why he gives us himself. You can't have that spiritual life without Jesus. And so he gives us his body to eat and he gives us his blood to drink. So we literally, it's like taking him into our life. So we're going to do that. So let's peel back that top layer. Let's, let's think on him. <laughs> I was thinking this morning about just his, the mercy that must have been in his eyes. Anyone, any sinner who came across Jesus must have just seen something in his eyes, this mercy. I think of the woman up at the well, just the mercy, the grace she would have received. I love thinking about Jesus' grace and mercy to sinners like me. So let's just think on that and let's savor it. And as we take him in, let's enjoy him. Let's eat together, church. Thank you, Jesus. Now let's peel back that second layer. This is the blood shed on the cross for us so that we could be cleansed, washed, renewed, um, but also so we can have life in us. The Bible says there's life in the blood. Church, let's drink and receive that life this morning. Well, Jesus, my prayer is that we would connect to you as we end the service with some time of worship. Just meet us in this place. Connect our hearts with you, Lord. Flow into us. Help us to experience those higher things together, individually, but also as a church. And I pray as we do that, it would bring joy into our marriages. It would bring joy into our personal life. And as we find ourselves satisfied more and more in you and the things that you give us, it would make you smile, bringing you glory. So use Edinburgh Church in that way. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.